Blog Talk Radio. for you, but I think it will be. Desperate House Wishes is brought to you by the one, the only, the incredibly wicked one, the amazing Dorothy Morrison. Please check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com for all of your witching needs. The merry, merry month of Morrison is coming up in May. I don't know what she's got planned. We're going to have to wait and see. But without any further ado, one of my favorite people is with me this morning for her quarterly visit, the amazing author and speaker and wonderful person, Joe Graham. Hey, Joe. Hey, Raina. How are you this morning? Um, I'm good. I'm good. Very excited. As we were talking about in the pre-show, I'm getting ready to get my second Moderna shot at the end of this week. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. Well, at the end of this coming week on Friday. So I'm pretty excited. What about you? I'm going to get my second Moderna shot, not this week, but week after. And that will be everybody in my household vaccinated. So I will be very pleased with that and very pleased that we can, you know, go places a little more freely and um, see people, see relatives and things. Um, yeah, it's it's good. Yeah, I am the middle person in the family. We already have one completely vaccinated. I'm next, and then within two more weeks, uh, the third member of our household gets their final shot. So we are um, we're planning on two weeks after that. You know, still basically staying away from folks as we have been. Um, mm-hmm. just making sure everybody's good, but I'm still concerned about what happens when we're out in public as far as, you know, folks who haven't been vaccinated are, is it possible? And I don't know if you know this, so I could just be asking out my ass, but is it possible for somebody who's been vaccinated to pass it to someone with who hasn't had or, or someone who hasn't had the vaccines i mean is it possible to be a carrier if you've been fully vaccinated do you know well i'm not an expert on this by any means but from just from what i've read we don't really know for certain yet it seems unlikely that people who um, are fully vaccinated and have waited the two weeks would be able to transmit it but we don't know for certain excuse me it's just like the business of how long does the vaccine last well we know it lasts at least six months people who were vaccinated six months ago still have antibodies but beyond that we can't know because nobody was vaccinated longer than six months ago so you know um, there's a lot of things we're just waiting to see you know what the data shows us as the months go on 
But yeah, I'm, you know, I was I'm wondering more... how long. I mean, I know that the the vaccine, you know, even at one vaccine, you know, the first the first dose, as it were, you're up to eighty up to eighty percent covered, um, which yeah. is by no means the place to stop. <laughs> so I want to encourage folks: please make sure you get both. Um, you know, whether it's Moderna or Pfizer, I think those are the two most prevalent right now that are being distributed. Um, and to not be too uh, uh, afraid of, if you've had the Johnson and Johnson, um, it's the 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 blood clot uh, thing that they're looking at right now is is in very small numbers, but it does need to be looked at, of course. And I think that's why they've halted distribution. But you know, if you have any, if you're feeling some kind of weirdness physically after having a Johnson and Johnson, go just go get checked out. But for the most part, most of the people, like the better majority, over ninety something percent, are fine, completely a hundred percent fine uh, so far. So you know, it's just you know they're they're using an abundance of caution because these are new medications, and you know that's a good thing. So you know they're they're making sure that the vaccinations are doing what they're supposed to be doing. So I still want to encourage folks who are kind of on the fence about getting it um, just from a safety standpoint and even a travel standpoint, my understanding is, is that um, there may come a time where you may have to prove that you've been vaccinated to do certain things or go certain places. I wanted to get your thoughts on that, Joe. Well, I don't really understand why people are acting like this is something new. I mean, I've had kids in public schools for you know, almost two decades here. And of course they have to have their vaccinations to attend public school. That's always been a requirement. Um, You know, that's not new. Um, When my older daughter's boyfriend was uh, taking a course in emergency medicine, he had to show that he had all of his boosters and stuff for for class because obviously you can't have – an emergency medical technician who's not fully vaccinated, um, you know, and in various professions. My my oldest daughter works as a childcare teacher. She has to be fully vaccinated for work. You can't have a teacher who's not vaccinated working with toddlers. So I'm not sure why suddenly, you know, this is like acting like this is some kind of new and terrible requirement that no one has ever heard of before. It seems like this is something that's very common for people in in public-facing jobs and in public schools. Um, You know, it's required to be a firefighter in my county. Um, What's the big deal? (laughs) Well, and I think, first of all, I 100% agree with you, and I see no difference between one and the other. But I think people have been so poisoned by, you know, the lies that were told in the previous administration about, you know, that it was no big deal and nobody was going to get really sick. And, and, you know, some people are very creative when it comes to where they put facts in their brains. Like if somebody says it and they take it as the gospel, 
they still wind up picking and choosing what parts of that are their gospel. I mean, for those who don't know, Trump got vaccinated. He and his wife, and I'm sure his entire family, have been completely vaccinated because even though they didn't say it out loud at the time, it has since been, it has since come out as fact. So Mm -hmm. if you were um, holding back making an appointment because you were told that you didn't need it or that it was go see look it's going away no 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 that's not the fact at all we all need to do this together and it's not there's no microchip implanted let me dissuade people like my mother for example who are like don't get the don't get the vaccination there's a microchip in it i'm like if you have a cell phone or a credit card guess what you've got a microchip they know where you are so what's the difference you know, nobody's going to, like, inject you with a microchip and start controlling your brain. That's not how it works at all. Um, so that's not even science. No, it's not any different than a flu shot. You know, you go stand in line, you fill out a form, and then you get essentially a flu shot. It's it's not any kind of big deal. It, my arm hurt the rest of the day. That was all. And, you know, complications, some people, you know, um, my partner yeah. had a headache for a couple of days. That's it. Uh, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. But even with Johnson & Johnson, they've had seven blood clots in 100,000 people. That is so right. small. I mean, your odds are, you know, one in 35,000 of being killed in a wreck on I-40. <laughs> yep. I, but at the same start. time, yeah. you know. I drive on I-40 every day and don't go, I'm going to die today. <laughs> I thought maybe I should if I drive through Charlotte in rush hour. Um, <laughs> hey, as um, in Charlotte, I can attest. Yes, Charlotte traffic is pretty bad sometimes. Um, yeah. yeah. So I get it. So I'm taking, you know, I'm taking more of a risk with my life every time I get on 277 and go across town to home. So, yeah, I mean, I completely understand. But I think it's good to remind people that you really, you know, in order for us to defeat or at least get it under control, I don't know if you can defeat a virus. I don't know how – not knowing enough about science, I can't speak intelligently on that, so I'm not going to. Um, but, you know, we've got to at least try to protect each other. But I also want folks to understand, even though you've had the shot, um, and you may have completed your series, you still want to wear a mask for right now until we're told, that, you know, until you get the all clear, just to be on the safe side, just out of an abundance of yeah. precaution. And I think people forget that we still have to protect others. And, you know, there are folks who can logistically not get a shot for various reasons medically, Um and I understand that, and I'm more than happy to do my part to protect those people, and I'm I'm hoping everyone else does likewise. But we just want to encourage folks to, to make your appointments, get, get the vaccination. Yeah. It's just a good idea. If you want to go visit Grandma, do it for her. <laughs> if you want to see a loved one somewhere else and you want to travel, just be, you know, be prepared. All states are handling this a little bit differently from what I understand. Um, 
places that I guess are more high risk, maybe a little more antsy and really want you. I mean, everyone's going to want you to have your vaccinations. So that it's really something to consider. So I want to strongly encourage those who haven't gotten it to get it. But, you know, Joe, we were talking before we went on the air a little bit, and I hadn't even forgotten about how far we've come and how far we still have to go as far as, you know, the things that were put on hold during the pandemic, like rent, for example. And I wanted you to speak to that for the folks and, and remind them of where we're at and what could potentially happen. Well, I think, you know, we're, we've made a lot of progress with COVID, but we're unfortunately not through with the crisis that COVID has created. Things like the rent moratorium, um, there are many states that have rent moratoriums or eviction bans saying that, you know, during the COVID crisis, if you can't pay your rent this month, that's okay. You can't be evicted. You know, you can just catch up later. Well, that's great. But if you've lost your job or your job is paying very little because let's say you're a real estate agent and you're paid on commission and nobody is buying right now, um, nobody is selling right now, and you're on rent moratorium, that's great. But that doesn't mean you don't owe the money. And so whenever the rent and eviction moratorium goes off, there are going to be people who owe ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars in back rent that is suddenly due. Well, if the reason you've had a rent moratorium and been using it is because you weren't having any income, suddenly you owe twenty thousand dollars in back rent and you've got to pay it right now. Um, whenever this goes off, there are going to be cascading economic problems unless those problems are addressed on some kind of national level um, and in a way that is fair. For example, um, we rent from a private landlord. She is just an ordinary person who rents a house. She's not a big corporation. If we stopped paying rent, but she's still paying her mortgage, how is that going to work for her? You can't just cancel these payments um, because it's going to put a lot of people who are the renters, the, the landlords, into catastrophic financial problems. Um, you know, if she owed $20,000 on her mortgage that she couldn't pay, but she couldn't collect it from her tenant, in rent, what then? Um, so, you know, it's, it's a whole series of complicated problems that we have just begun to deal with. Um, and, of course, the businesses that have closed permanently. There are so many small businesses, restaurants particularly, but other things as well, that have gone out of business. And it's not oh, yeah. a matter of opening back up again. It's a matter of you know, all of those employees need new jobs. The people who sure. owned those restaurants have lost their shirts. Um, what happens then? This is not just turning a switch back on, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think too many people are thinking that it is because some things have come back. Some places have reopened. Um, but there's, and there's no logistical way to give the kind of debt forgiveness I don't know. Maybe it is a debt for a national debt forgiveness program because you're not just talking about rent. You're talking about utilities. You're talking about 
basically anything that you touch that you normally would have to pay for. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of companies, you know, a lot of credit card companies that sent out letters saying, if you need help during these trying times, we'll work with you. What will work with you means is you're still going to owe it on the back end. And this is the, the financial ruin that is going to happen that hasn't happened yet because of COVID is something that we still have to watch and, and see it play out because we don't know how bad it's going to be. It, it's going to be catastrophic for some people. It is. It is. And I think there's going to be a great deal of political fallout from that. Now, um, politically, where are we? Um, yeah. I think we are certainly not in the worst case scenarios. We are absolutely not in our worst case scenarios for the crisis of 2020 for this winter. But we're not in the best case scenarios. We're in one of the middle ones. <laughs> and that's a good place to be. We could be in a far worse situation than we are. We have we could have avoided civil. <laughs> yeah, we could. We we've avoided civil insurrection except for January sixth, and fortunately, mm-hmm. um, that was not successful in overturning the democratic process. So we're better off than we could be, but at the same time. Yeah. We're not out of the woods. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of problems that are still on the table, and mm-hmm. those problems are going to have to be addressed in various ways, or they're going to bite us. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay, so it's not the worst scenario, but it's not the best scenario. Yeah, I, I I think we're we're in a middle we're in a middle timeline. I mean, if you watch Star Trek or a science fiction show like that, and you have the idea, you know, there are multiple timelines and alternate ways that history can go. We're we're in one of the middle ones, um, but yeah, we're not completely. You know, we're not in our best case scenario either, and we can't lose sight of the fact that half a million people are dead of COVID. Half a million. Right. That's a lot. Yeah. I don't think people, I mean, we don't want to necessarily, I mean, I, we have to dwell on it because, I mean, I'm not trying to be morbid, but we, I mean, we have to give consideration to what happened and the fact that all of those people may, may not have had to die if action had been taken sooner. And, you know, there's there's always this argument between hypervigilance and doing nothing, and, you know, there's no way to prove a negative. What I'm saying is if we're not hypervigilant, the risk that we're taking is not worth it, uh, not worth not taking. Um, the, mm-hmm. the price of doing nothing, we've seen the price of doing nothing, and I just wish more people understood that the steps that we have been taking – as a country to try to right the ship, as it were, to get people, you know, kind of in line to do the right thing to protect each other. It's something that isn't going to stop just because most people have had a vaccination. There are other things that are going to need to be addressed. But I also wanted to talk to you about not just the economic fallout, but I also wanted to talk to you about 
how you're grading the current administration on on what they're doing and how they're handling it. I think the Biden administration is doing a very good job right now. I think Biden learned from the problems with Obamacare and with the Obamacare, uh, with it passing it and with its rollout, that you can't mm-hmm. waste time. You have to hit the ground running. You have about a year before people start th- concentrating on the next midterm elections. And, you mm-hmm. know, he's got about a year. He's got until January, maybe February next year, in which he's really got a window of opportunity. And you can't do everything at the same time, but he is doing one thing after another, snap, snap, snap. And yeah. I think, you know, that's that, – he's doing, the I think, the best that he possibly can under the circumstances, given the divisions mm-hmm. in Congress. So I do think we're going in the right direction there. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't mean everything is going to get through. That doesn't mean everybody's going to get everything that they want. Um, mm-hmm. That's not possible. But I think it's moving in the right direction, absolutely. And that um, this is a sincere effort. And there's a lot to be said for a sincere effort to do better. I wanted. I also wanted to ask you about um, the consideration that's being given to trying to stop the filibuster um, and the and trying to maybe level up on the Supreme Court so that uh, it's a more even court. Uh, but let's let's talk about the filibuster first. Can you explain? why the filibuster is or isn't, in your opinion, a good thing to have? Well, the filibuster is a two-edged sword, depending on whether you're the party in power or the party out of power, because it basically means that instead of having a 51-vote majority to pass things, you need a supermajority, you need a 60-vote margin. and. Right. That means that makes everything harder to pass. Now, is that good or bad? Well, that depends on what you're trying to pass. Um, right. So at the at the same time that it prevents a bunch of progressive legislation from passing, it has also in the past prevented some very reactionary legislation from passing. So it's good and it's bad. Um, if you've got the 51 vote majority, you want it gone. If you don't, it's, it slows everything down. It makes everything require a great – and, you know, it, we may have reached the point where nobody is ever going to have a 60-vote majority, where we've reached mm-hmm. gridlock. And yeah. there's simply no way for anyone to ever reach that threshold, and in which case we can't have that threshold. But in general, it has prevented extreme um, things on both sides, and that's been good and bad, both. Um, one of the things that sort of is the is the main issue right now is we are very evenly divided as a country and will be for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And so when you 
when you look at issues and you say, okay, you know, this is a 47-47 split with 6% of people who haven't made up their minds and who vote one way one day and one way another day, and that that may be continuing for the next 20 or 30 years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what do you do with that? Do you say, well, we're just not going to do anything substantive for the next 20 years? That's not tenable. No, it's not. Um, it's not. Yeah. So, you know, wh- what do you do with that? Um, and one of the reasons for that is that the baby boomer generation is very polarized. They're very politically active. They've been very mm-hmm. politically active since 1970. And they're going to continue to vote their side until they die of old age. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, <laughs> you know that's, that's the way it is. They're not going to change sides. You're not going to be able to talk somebody 70 into switching parties at this point. That's not going to happen. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. as long as they remain voters, they're going to be polarized voters. Yeah. Okay. Now, you know, Will a younger generation outvote them? Possibly. On some issues, yes, definitely. Because as the millennials are more numerous than the baby boomers, and as the baby boomers age, there are fewer and fewer baby boomers. Um, So the millennials will at some point have more votes. But the millennials are... That will make a difference on certain issues, but it won't make an it won't make a difference on every issue. Um, right. Certain issues like LGBT plus rights, um, the millennials are absolutely have a super majority on one side, and that um, and that will make a big difference to queer people. Mm-hmm. But. Um, on other issues like fiscal management, you know, the millennials are not splitting on fiscal issues very differently from the generations ahead of them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, the main thing that would make a big difference in Congress is somehow changing how states are represented the number of representatives, yeah. um, you know, that's why this controversy over whether there should be uh, representatives allotted to the District of Columbia, because the District of Columbia does not have voting House members. Um, they right. have, yeah. And so if they did, were allowed to vote, that would tilt things in the Democratic direction without by essentially making D.C. a state, the 51st state. Um, So, you know, (laughs) a a, a change in the composition of states. And ditto, you know, there's been some talk on the right and and in the Republican Party seriously about Texas, about what if Texas left. If Texas left, gridlock would be broken for everyone else. Remove really? Texas's yes. Remove Texas's two Republican senators and remove Texas's enormous congressional delegation, 
and suddenly you've got a supermajority for the Democrats on everything. When Democrats say, oh, no, 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 we can't possibly consider Texas leaving, consider Texas leaving. Let them go if they want to, <laughs> because it will break the deadlock for everybody else. If they want to, to go, if they want a divorce, let them divorce. Wow. And, you know, then the rest of us can all move on. Um, and that's I not just about I, things I, like Congress. I didn't Texas was holding up so much stuff. They have such an enormous congressional delegation because they have such a large population. I mean, Texas's population is bigger than that of most European countries, as Mm -hmm. is its landmass. Texas is the size of a normal country elsewhere in the world. Um, You know, and so, you know, if you took that enormous congressional delegation out of the mix, there would not be a question about whether or not progressive legislation was going to pass. It would absolutely pass. Wow. And and it's not we just – um, We need yeah. to let them go. No. <laughs> we need yes. It's, to go. And, well, I mean, you know, that's also the question of, you know, if somebody wants to go, do you make them stay in a relationship when they don't want to? But um, it's not just Congress. For example, national textbooks. Because Texas has so many public schools and is so large – Textbook publishers always have to have an eye on what are the Texas school boards going to buy? What is the state of Texas going to buy? Which means that some of them do special Texas editions of textbooks, which are more conservative, and others which can't afford to have two editions of a textbook have to water everything down for the Texas market. Oh, no dinosaurs. No evolution. No, whatever, because Texas objects to it. Um, you know, I, 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 in addition to writing fiction and spirituality, I also write under a different name, educational materials. And the eye is always on what you can't say, right? <laughs> the what you can't talk about, you can't talk about dinosaurs. I mean, that's a good example of one of the things that you just can't mention ever. Because there are no dinosaurs in Texas. Right. So, you know, if you didn't have Texas in the mix, Mm -hmm. then you could have evolution. Um, Yeah. So it would make a big difference. It sounds like it would. I didn't realize, you know, I, I just, there's some things I just don't stop long enough and think about, and that would be one of them. Um, but, yeah, Texas is a roadblock to a lot of things, and I didn't even think about it until you said it. Um, but, I mean, and listen, there are states that threaten, you know, like, do we need two Dakotas? <laughs> I don't know. Um but there's two for a reason. Would it change anything if two Dakotas became just one? Well, it would dilute their voting power, um, which yeah. you know probably they don't want. Um, right. 
in terms of the house, it wouldn't make much difference because the Dakotas have very few reps. Um, right. It's not like Texas where you're talking about, you know, 40, 50 reps. Um, yeah. Texas is a big difference. The Dakotas, it's just a couple of people. It wouldn't probably shift a balance. In the Senate, yeah. The two Dakotas becoming one would be bad for Republicans because those are pretty consistently Republican Senate seats. And if you, instead of having four of them, you had two of them, um, you know, that's yeah. obviously going to make a difference. But what do you the think Dakotas of the, I'm, I, I was, I was going to throw you a complete curveball. <laughs> like okay, throw me a curveball. Because I can. Um, <laughs> so I wanted your opinion on because, you know, and I think that the majority that the Democrats have right now is very tenuous. Every every majority uh, that Democrats seem to get appears to be tenuous for some reason because Republicans seem to have so much sway power over, over people. So I, I realize that this is, you know, a situation where – we have the majority now, but when midterms come up, as you correctly noted, that can shift everything immediately and not in a way that, you know, forward-thinking folks might like. What do you think about the legislation that's being passed in, in some states to limit voting ability, you know, which usually negatively – it actually negatively affects Republicans, too, so I'm a little confused about it but for example what they've done in georgia you know by by trying to cut the early voting days and you know making it problematic if you're in line and you know need water or whatever it is like only certain people can bring you water or food or it just seems like they're doing everything to make sure that people have a harder time voting and it seems like they are pre-planning to stack the deck can win because apparently winning on ideas is no longer something that politicians do. Well, I think the the efforts in Georgia, to be blunt, are completely racist and completely deliberately intended to suppress votes. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, you know, there have been state officials saying, well, not everybody in Georgia should vote. There are people who shouldn't. Well, you know what that means. We all know what that means. We yeah. all know that that means that they want to suppress black voters. And I don't think that's a surprise to anyone who, you know, knows the strategy because the bottom line is they can't numerically win if everyone who is qualified to vote does so. They just won't win. The Republicans right. will not win in states with changing demographics like Georgia and North Carolina. And so mm -hmm. voter suppression has to be their tactic um, because the only other tactic open is to broaden their base. And there are Republicans who want to take that tack. I think Mitt Romney, I think Liz Cheney are examples of sure. Republicans who would – take this in a different direction, but they are in the minority within their party. Um, and, mm. you know, if that were the tack they took and they said, okay, we're going to broaden the base, what we're going to do is, for example, reach out to Hispanic, Latina, um, conservative religious voters, that might mm -hmm. be a tactic. 
But that's not what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and so if their appeal is we're going to go after Gen X men and conservative baby boomers, that's a dying mm-hmm. tactic because those demographics are shrinking, and they're going to shrink more and more and more with every election. So they're going to re- they are reaching, and in some states have reached, an inflection point where it's not possible to win a fair election without mm-hmm. changing the policies and the outreach at the base of it. And so if you can't win a fair election, what you've got to do is have an unfair election. And I think that just simply cannot be tolerated. Agree. And I'm amazed at how many people are perfectly fine with letting that happen. And, you know, a lot of folks are breathing such a sigh of relief that Trump didn't get back into office. I think they, you know, sometimes when you when you've been holding your breath for so long and then you can breathe and then you're told wait it's not over um and you i mean it's like constantly running these races and and you know trying to stay on top of it i'm just so afraid of complacency because we now have somebody who rings a lot of normal as president but it, it doesn't mean that this is a permanent thing. And, you know, the lessons that we think we've learned, not everyone has learned and not everyone agrees with. So we have to be even more on guard now. It's always a tenuous thing. You know, freedom in and of itself is a tenuous thing. Well, I think it, it is tenuous at the moment because it is so evenly divided. Um, you know, it, it is not really possible when you look at the midterm map or the 2024 map, it is not really possible to gain enough of a substantial majority to be secure for things to not be mm-hmm. tenuous, not with the maps the right. way they are. And so, right. you know, Either the map has to change or, yeah, it is going to be tenuous. It is going to be hard fought. Um, I would certainly like to see a little more security, a little more margin of error. But that's not going to happen unless the map changes. That's not going to happen in the next two cycles because it's just not mathematically possible to pick up seats that are not in play, for example. Um, You know, um, only a third of the Senate seats are in play in any election. And so that means that usually there's, you know, four or five, maybe six opportunities. And maybe if it's a good year, you pick up two, three out of those four or five, six. But you can't pick up 20. That's impossible. So, you know, it, 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 it is always on that thin edge. Um, Especially and, when we have people, Joe Manchin, like a Joe Manchin or a, or a Kristen Cinema, you know, who are, you know, trying to come at things from what they would, they consider a more even hand. For me, it's like, no, 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 no. There's so many other things to pass that, we really need to to know who on our team is voting with us, and I just well, I just find it so interesting. 
that we're constantly at this moment where it's like we don't even know sometimes in our own party if people are going with us. And when you have a, a such a tenuous majority, every single person counts 100%. And I just find it so nerve-wracking when I'm watching legislation being discussed. I always have a lump in my throat, like, which of our people is not going to go with this? You know what I mean? So it's, it's yeah, really but, you know, the thing about Joe Manchin is, and this is from, you know, from my years on the Hill, Joe Manchin, he, he works for West Virginia first. Joe Manchin yeah. represents one of the poorest states in the country. And when he says, mm-hmm. well, I don't know if I'm going to go along with that. Well, what he's saying is, Joe, Mr. President, what's the deal? And I think if Biden comes back and says, how would you like three fine hydroelectric plants and a new tunnel through a big Walker Mountain, then Joe Manchin will come to the table. Um, He's clearly in the deal. And he and Biden have known each other for a long time. Joe Manchin will bring home the economic benefits for one of the poorest states in the country. And that's what he's doing. I, I don't think this is some kind of major ideological split. I think he knows he's, that Biden needs him, and he and Biden have worked together for 30 years, and he knows that Biden will sweeten the deal if he makes it clear that he needs the deal sweetened. And I'm not okay, saying that's that a bad thing for West Virginia. No, not at all. I, I And I was just saying that actually makes me feel better because it's a horse trade it, more than it's an ideological battle, which makes me feel better, yeah. to be honest yeah. with you, because that means that there is not a point where it's necessarily there's no deal because we ideologically disagree. It is more of a horse trade. I'm good with a horse trade. Okay. See, I, I, I yeah. feel a lot better about it. <laughs> okay, good. Well, yeah, I think, I think Manchin is in a position where he can make some demands, and his demands are going to be what is financially good for West Virginia. Um. And heaven knows West Virginia needs it. Yes. And so, yeah, that makes me feel a lot better about the whole situation because when you hear about these arguments that people are having and it's like, you know, well, he's not playing ball with this and he's saying it's, you know, because he wants a more even hand in Congress, but we could still, there's still possibility to sway him if we give, if we give something that, that West Virginia needs to West Virginia, and I have loved ones from West Virginia, so I'm, I'm good with that too. I'm, just, I'm, I'm good with people being willing to deal. I'm a little more concerned when I hear it's an ideological thing because when it comes to ideology, a lot of people are just stuck in their position, and there's no moving them for whatever yeah. reason. So it, that well, actually makes me feel a little better. I hope it makes other people yeah. feel a lot better too, um, because if you if you just listen to the blurbs on the news, it sounds like, oh, Joe Manchin, he's really a rhino. Well, uh, or he's he's really a, a a dino as opposed to being a real Democrat. No, what you're saying is that's actually not the case. He's just trying to get stuff that his state needs. Okay, well that's his job. You can't be mad. Yeah, at the that man is for, his job for doing his. Job. Yeah, and that's, that's and, fine. 
and you know West Virginia is so dependent on the coal industry, the natural gas industry, and it's absolutely true that sustainable energy is disastrous for West Virginia as things are right now. Now that doesn't have to yeah. be because mm-hmm. West Virginia has enormous potential for hydroelectric power and that but that requires major infrastructure investment on a federal level. Well, you know, if I were Joe Manchin, what I'd be saying to Joe Biden is show me the dams. Show me the millions and millions of dollars that you're going to put into infrastructure, hydropower in West Virginia that is going to provide jobs, that is going to provide construction jobs, that is going to provide ongoing operator jobs that will give us a replacement for the non-sustainable jobs that you want to phase out. Okay, give me the alternative, Mr. President. Put it on the table and put the money on the table for it. That's what I would be doing if I were Joe Manchin. Right. Okay, well, that I mean, that just makes me feel better. I just want people to remember that we have to stay alert, that we have to – even though this has been a great period of waking up in the morning and not being paralyzed with fear, because quite frankly, I did that for four years and I didn't enjoy it. Um, you know, now that I can wake up and not have to think about is the president doing something completely, excuse my French, fucked up, um, it's just nice to have something that resembles what normal looks like and but i yes but i absolutely yeah but i'm still always nervous you know whenever i think about midterms because i know that that voter turnout during midterms is normally low historically and you know fortunately i think that folks have learned that lesson that all elections are important and dictate how we live our lives i mean the fact if you believe nothing else, the evidence is right there when it comes to the what we were talking about earlier, the vaccine rollout. Under Trump, we didn't know when or it, we, we knew we were going to get a vaccine, but we didn't know when and we didn't know when it was going to reach everybody. Under Biden, that situation was taken in hand pretty quickly. We now hear from scientists, which is great. And I'm sorry, a lot more of a relief to know that I'm, ta- I'm hearing from an expert as opposed to what, you know, the president thinks. Because even if you well, like your president. I think this president- has been pretty transparent. I think the, yes. the administration's been pretty transparent and been pretty honest about saying, you know, there are things we don't know here. There are things we have no information on yet. There are things we can't know. But we're working on those things. You know, I'm good with that. Yeah. Me too. I, so, I, and, and I wanted your opinion about, because we're running low on time, we've only got like 12 minutes left. I wanted to get your take on the pullout from Afghanistan, which I thought was like, holy shit, we've been there forever. It's almost at a point where you forget you're there. Um, and, you know, when I heard that, I was like, wow, he's really just, he's walking in and changing everything. I mean, I'm grateful. Well, I'm yeah. really grateful. You know? Well, there's certainly no doubt that pulling out will destabilize the region, um, and it will certainly destabilize yeah. the current government there. 
But right. we cannot win. We could stay there another 20 years, and we would not have made measurable progress. And, you know, this is one of those terrible situations where pulling out is going to create problems, but staying in is not going to solve them. Hmm. Interesting. That's um, interesting. Yeah. And I think that the idea of trying to remedy things with soft power through diplomacy, with Pakistan, with other neighbors. You know, no one wants to say that we have actually reached the point where we can't. But Mm. we can't win. Mm -hmm. What would winning Mm. look like? Mm. What would... What what could we accomplish if we said, okay, we're going to spend the next four, if Biden said instead, okay, we're going to spend the next four years pursuing what we think are the optimal policies and putting whatever it takes into it. Would we be better off in four years? Probably not. And I think that's the conclusion that he's come to and that the members of his administration have come to is If we put maximum effort into it for the next four years, would we be better off in the end? And if the answer is no, then we have better places Mm -hmm. to spend our attention, or not better places, places which are equally critical. For example, one of the things that, you know, is sitting at the bottom of CNN this week is Russia's um, saber rattling and pushing in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, Putin has also been dealing with COVID, and yeah. that has no doubt set his plans and his hopes for expansion into former Soviet territories back. But he hasn't gone away. It's a, he is facing the same setbacks with COVID as everyone else. But yeah. In the next year, they're going to get a handle on that just as we are. And if we can't make progress in Afghanistan, we have to at least not lose ground in the Baltic and in the Ukraine. At least that's my opinion on it. No, and I that's why I have you on, because I, I appreciate your opinions on pretty much everything. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's got to be a point where you have to say, we've done what we can, and sometimes things work out and sometimes they don't. I mean, there are other places that could all, that could perhaps benefit more. I think is what you were saying earlier. Um, but yeah, I mean, when do you say enough is enough, and we have to try? you know, to go to other places and and make something happen somewhere else. I mean, because we've not really had – there's always going to be a point where you want to bring your troops home. There's always going to be a point where you're risking the place that you're in being destabilized unless they have a solid infrastructure. And I think after – I mean, we've been there for so many years now. 
you know, sometimes if you just we haven't leave. made progress, if we haven't made, if we have not made solid substantive progress in 20 years, are we going to make it in the next two or the next four? And our service members' lives are precious. And I'm not saying that we should never put them in harm's way, and I don't think they would say that. But we owe it to them not to put them in harm's way unless there are solid mission objectives that can be accomplished. And, you know, do we have that here? I don't know. At this point, I mean, we did 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, but that 20 years ago, it was a completely different set of circumstances. And now it's just like, but now it's just like we're there and we're there and we're there and what? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like if we haven't made an appreciable difference by now, what is it we're still looking for? What is it we're going to hope to accomplish that we're not capable of accomplishing? And we have to be prepared to counter Russia's moves in other theaters. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, you know, we have finite resources. Yes, we're superpowers, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, but our resources are finite, both in terms of our service members and in terms of our money and material. And, yeah. you know, Trump pulled a lot of troops out of Eastern Europe and out of Germany. And those troops were there to be a deterrent to Russian expansion into the former Soviet sphere. And, you know, if we are committed to our allies in NATO and committed to the Ukraine, then we have to keep our eyes on that. And in the same... um, you know, we at the same time we have to keep an eye on China, and that's also going to be expensive and require <laughs> substantial numbers of people involved. And we don't have infinite numbers of people. We don't have infinite amounts of material. Start making really smart choices because of things that were done. Previous to the last administration, but of course during the last, <clears throat> pardon me, administration as well. So there's a lot of ground to cover. There are a lot of situations that were left open that shouldn't have been. And now we're trying, it's kind of like playing whack a mole. It's like, you know, what are you smacking down next? It's hard to keep up with the constantly shifting sand. Yes. And you know, foreign policy is always that. It's always countering moves on a giant chessboard, but you can never forget that your pieces are human beings. Right. That's true. And That's true. And that ultimately the fate of those human beings rests with the voters. They rest with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... Uh... It's a daunting thing. I, I hope people are, are still thinking about, you know, I mean, it's it's great to celebrate that we've, you know, got all kinds of things starting to look up and go back to normal, but by the same token, it's not a time to rest on it. We've, we've really got to work 
to maintain. And I, I feel like democracy in and of itself, and I never thought it like this before, but in the last four years, have taught, if they've taught me nothing, it's taught me that democracy really is a very fragile thing. We ran a country on a couple of handshakes and an understanding that we all agreed on certain things being true. And then we learned over the last four years that those things were not really built on anything and not provable in a court and not established in a real sense. They were just a shake, you know, a handshake and things we we thought we agreed upon. So for me, democracy is so much more fragile now than it ever was, uh, having gone through what we've gone through. So I just, I, I yes, want absolutely. folks to remember that we've got to get vigilant again. The fight is never over. Democracy is something that we now know. If we didn't know it before, we know it now. Democracy can be taken away from us at any second if we're not paying attention. So I just want folks to really pay attention because we don't want to we don't want to lose the ability to have the country that we love, you know, as opposed to a mm-hmm. dictatorship, which we could easily have slipped into. I, I don't think we folks could. realize. I mean, it, it could happen at any time. It's not just a Trump thing. It, you know, Trump was a symptom. You know, there exactly. are things that have to exactly. be taken care of. Yeah, we've, we've got to look at how we're taking care of each other as a nation. People used to care about each other and used to look out for your neighbor, not try to slice their throat. So I think um, I don't know how to get back to that, but I really hope we can in some regard somehow. Uh, but it's going to take work. It's going to take everybody. But I think we've turned and, in the right direction. We've turned in the right yes. direction, and I think we are seeing um, – you know, a resurgence of appreciation for civility and looking out for one another and rationality and appreciation for normalcy. You know, um, we we took for granted um, at norms, as you say, and now we don't take them for granted. And I think that's a good thing. I agree. I agree. You know, you don't know what you have until it's gone is applicable on so many levels, not just in relationships, but, you know, just in our country. I mean, I didn't, I, I took things for granted and that I am terrified of taking for granted ever again. And I hope other people have learned the same lesson. And we are almost out of time. So Joe, please tell folks, where they can find you and your books and, and if you're doing any classes or just give the folks the information. Well, um, right now I do not have any workshops or cons or anything like that scheduled. Everything has canceled for the summer. Um, mm-hmm. I hope that uh, those things will become possible again in this next year. My books are available yeah. by Joe Graham. Uh, my books are available at bookstores, libraries, uh, major online retailers. So check me out if you're interested. Um, I have books on spirituality. I also have 23 fiction books. So um, lovely always to talk to you, Raina. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for coming on, and I'll see you next quarter. Thank you again for spending the hour with me. Joe Graham, you're wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye-bye. All right, everyone, I am off next week because I am taking my COVID vaccine number two, and I just 
thought maybe if I had a reaction that I would go ahead and just not be on the air. Because the last shot, I got exhausted as we were going live. So I didn't want to do that to anybody. I didn't think it was fair. So next weekend, I'm off, but I am back on the 30th with Witch Dr. Utu and Dorothy Martin the Saturday, the day after that. So I'll see you in two weeks. Have a wonderful week. Stay safe.